Jerry Steele, and you're listening to Miss McBookworm, a podcast where Christian women who write fiction share their work in audio form. Today, I'm talking with Vanessa Davis-Griggs, a prolific and inspiring author that I was delighted to meet through the Southern Christian Writers Conference. Vanessa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm so glad to be here. It's good to meet you this nice way. Nice to meet you. Yes. Well, you stepped away from a corporate career more than 20 years ago to pursue writing. So how did you take that leap of faith? Oh, the interesting thing about it was I was working for a very nice company, making very good money. And I I got to where I started really liking um, to write. And when I say write, I mean the fact that I knew I had a job. So I would write from like uh, to about two o'clock in the morning <laughs> and then I would get up at six so that I could go to work. So I was like doing this and it got to the point where there were times where I would like um, get to work and my characters would still be talking and I would have to tell them, be quiet, not now, not now. And so I remember at one point I said something to God, like I said, if you do this, then I would leave. Well, actually, it should have been something that was really, really big that I didn't think probably would happen. And about probably two weeks later, the thing that I asked about came to me. And so I put in to tell them that I was leaving. And this was probably around um, March or April. And I told them that I was leaving at the end of the year. Well, they were like, hey, we were in the process of also promoting you to be your supervisor. So I had a supervisor. They were planning on doing all this thing. And they were like, you're messing up our plans and all that. But I had told God that if he did a particular thing, I would do it. So I left at the end of December of um, 1996. And I tell people the thing about it is um, a lot of people told me I was crazy because I was making a lot of money. And um, I told them one time and they talked about me behind my back at work. But I told them, I said um, that God knew where I live. He knew my address. And just like he got me whatever money he was getting me there, he would make sure that I was taken care of. So I tell people I stepped out on faith. And when I say it, it was like this. It wasn't like, okay, you know how sometimes God would tell you the end from the beginning, but he doesn't always tell you the stuff in the middle. And we all have these little problems and things that come up in life. It's just like when I look at um, in the Bible, you have all these different people that you have that had things that happened to them. And so for me, I said it was about stepping out on faith. And his thing was, you don't have to see the whole way. All you need to do is take the first step. So that's what I'll tell people. It's like when you start taking the step, what I noticed that God did was as I took the step, he had his hand. And as I took the next step, that hand was there. So I never failed because his hand was always there and he was always upholding me. So that's the thing that we have to understand that God said, you're not being blessed by our working at this company. Your money is not coming from them because it's still coming through. You know, maybe he's coming through them, but it's coming from him. So he knew where I lived. He knew how he was going to take care of me. So I didn't have a book deal when I left. It wasn't like, oh, I left and I know I had that. But it has been an awesome journey. I will say this because what was funny was um, there was a period of time, even since I left, that I did go back to do something in, uh, you would say, corporate America. What I looked at it, though, was I always tell people there are times where um, God will tell you to do something at a particular time and you don't know the reason why, but he has a blessing for somebody else. So I originally went to go work part time and I was um, at this company where I would go and be there at five o'clock in the morning. I would be through at nine o'clock. So it did not 
uh, interfere with anything else that I really was planning to do. And from that, they asked me about doing full time. And so I was end up there full time. But I'll tell people, people always talk about writing. And we think writing sometimes is always sitting there at our computer. Used to be at the typewriter. Some people still do it on the typewriter. But it's not always sitting there at that particular place to do that particular item. What it is, is you can be thinking about things. You can be in experiences of things. And all of that goes towards your writing. Because the more things you get to experience, and the particular place where I went to work at that time, um, I ended up meeting people that I normally would not have had an a interaction in the way that I did. It's not to say I didn't know they existed, but you end up hearing people with different languages, with different problems, with different things that were going on. And all of that has contributed to even the things that I'm working on right now. So it's not that I ever run out of anything to write, but God is always saying, I'm giving you even more, but you have to be obedient. So when he tells you to move, you move. When he tells you to be still, you be still. And sometimes that be still is be still and know that I am God. That is so true. And that is so inspiring too. That takes a lot of of bravery, but a lot of faith, a lot of trust in him and his plan. I love that. Okay. I'm I'm fired up. (laughs) I got to go on to the next question. Um, I loved what you said. We we were both participants in a virtual fiction workshop through the conference um, last year. And I loved what you said about your writing playing like a movie in your head and how writing creating a movie for the mind. And so can you just tell me a little bit more about your writing process and sort of how you came to that description? Well, um, part of my description was when I was a young girl, I used to like I've always grown up in the church. And I tell people, if you don't know this, I went to uh, my daddy took me to church when I was two weeks old. My mother was still at home because that was when they would tell you to stay out six weeks before you go out. But I had a bassinet. So my daddy carried me in this big old huge bassinet. It's not like these cute little bassinets we have now, but it was a big old huge bassinet. He took me to church. I have been in church um, all of my life, but more so than that, church has been in me. So, you know, we look at church as a place, but it is not a place. It is. We are the church. We don't understand that sometimes, but wherever we go, the church should be anyway. So I had this thing where as I was growing up, we would have plays in church and I would write plays, direct them even as a young child. So for me, I've always been visual. I'll see things and and I will tell people even on Facebook, I'll say, you have to see it before you can see it and then you'll see it. But I would see things in my mind. And for me, I usually would tell people, I'm not going to write it unless it's something that I would want to read or it's something that I would want. So I would always see things. So having written plays, I knew how you can make it be visual. But what I knew with words, you have to be able as a writer to make your words. If you don't have an actor acting it out, your characters on the paper have to act it out. So I have to make sure when I am writing certain things that I see the movie, now I got to make you see it. And the only way I can make you see it is it is like a movie. I saw it in my head, but I got to make you see. And for me, I'm not going to write it until I'm like, okay, this, this is it. Now I got, now I will say this, my writing process is not um, like some people who sit down and write uh, an an outline and they write every little thing that's going to happen. I know Usually I'll hear my characters. They will come to me. They start talking. I used to have to tell a disclaimer. I am not crazy. Because, you know, when you tell people you're hearing voices, they're like, okay, 
But for me, I would hear my characters and they would talk. I can see them. So from that point, um, as they are doing things, I'm like, okay, what's the story? So they're telling me what's going on. I might jot down things that I know that are happening, but, and I have an idea, this is how it's going to start. This is likely how it's going to end, but I don't know for sure. Sometimes all the things that may happen in the middle. The other thing that happens is um, I've had, when I've um, had different uh, publishing houses, because I've been published by BET when they had a book uh, inspirational division. I've also been published by Kensington, um, their Defina um, imprint. And so they are usually, when you're with a publisher, they will say to you, Give me an outline of what you plan to write. So you're having to sit down and say all the different things that you're planning to do. But I would usually tell them because I don't follow an outline. I have an idea. I let my characters and I I can still have a handle on them. But I would tell them that it's possible it may change. So just because I give you a thought of this is what it's going to be. My characters sometimes have taken over. I had a character in one of my books. In fact, uh, it was called Promises Beyond Jordan. I have, this is the BET edition of it. Now, originally self-published. So I published my own book. Originally, they uh, ended up asking to um, republish it and they put it on a different um, cover. And then after that, when I did at one point ask for my rights back, I have gone back to my original self-published cover or have a different cover. But the thing about it is in this particular book, um, which was, like I said, my first mainstream book. When this book came out um, and I was writing it, in fact, there was a very high level agent who um, had called me before I even signed with Ken, uh, with uh, BET. And she had heard about the book and her thing was, OK, can you send it to me? There was something she wanted to change in it because, you know, they'll sometimes say, well, hey, um, I think it ought to do this. And I don't have a problem with changing with some things. But if you change a book and it makes it where you don't even want to read it then I'm not interested. I'm not just for the money. So anyway, um, but like I said, what was funny about this particular character, I had a character who I knew was supposed to die in the story. So, you know, and the story going along like it's supposed to, and my character's in the hospital and all this, and all of a sudden the characters start getting better. And then the story, <laughs> and it was funny because I'm writing it and I'm watching this character and I'm like, I'm thinking, no, I know you're supposed to die because that's, what the story and so at one point I remember thinking I said you know what forget it whatever you know and I just let that character I just let the story play out but I'm saying that um if you're going to be authentic you need to make sure because even in our lives and we all know this we can plan we can say this is what we intend to do and then life happens things come up and I always people say that sometimes we tell God our plans and he laughs at us, you know, like, oh, you think that? Okay. okay, <laughs> And you just watch. So even in our stories, when we're writing them, we want to be really, to me, authentic, be truthful, be how we would normally don't just make it to be or not to be. That is the question. It's like, that's not how people talk. So when you're writing, you want to make sure you're being authentic. Let your characters be who they are. I have a character um, in one of my books. It was called Wings of Grace. And I remember it was a character who I'm, um, she showed up in one of my other books slightly. I mean, I knew she was going to be in this book. And um, she was a horrible person. And it was funny because people would write me and they would say, hey, I read Wings of Grace. And I'm just going to tell you there was a character. And they told me the character's name. They said, uh, I don't want to hurt your feeling, but I could not stand her. 
And I would like read it. And when I would hear that or hear people say that, this is what I would do. Yes. Because the whole point is for you to make your character do their job. And that's what I want to emphasize, that when you're reading or you're writing, you're looking for characters to play their part. And that's the same in real life. We all have a part to play. There are some people who um, who have really sweet, and there are some people who people run over, and there are some people who are really horrible, and we want everybody to act right. But sometimes the way we find out who we really are is based on how other people are. Because if they're not really great people, or even with our children, sometimes our children do things, we go, uh, look, that is not good. And we try to teach people, but the only way sometimes we even see ourselves is when we rub against something that may make us sharper in who we really are. So, you know, they say uh, steel, sharpen steel, which is good and good getting together. But there are times when bad, you know, you can have something where it's like, I am the um, sword. And I'm hitting against this rock. But what you don't realize is the rock, it looked like it's against me. The rock looked like it's in my way. But in truth, as I'm hitting with that sword, with that rock, I actually just sharpened my sword. So now <laughs> instead of me having to whack a whole lot of times to make that tree fall, now I got a sharpened tool. So having that sharpened tool, I can be even better. I can do even more things and I can even do it quicker. But so don't get all upset with yourself, even when you're looking at, okay, I didn't do that just right. If you can recognize, you know what? I I didn't handle that just right. And then there are times where you do things that you're supposed to do and other people don't think you did it right. But you examine yourself and you say, you know what? I don't care what you think about that. (laughs) Because in truth, that's what I really should have done. You can't always please everybody. And that's one of the things most people do. We try to make everybody like us. And Jesus was Jesus and everybody didn't like him. So we have to understand not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to pull for you. Not everybody's going to want you to succeed. You know, even when you look at Joseph and Joseph is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Joseph had his brothers, his own family, and they weren't, you know, people get jealous of you. And it's funny because you go, well, we're family. Well, I always tell people to be honest with you, if we, and I say if, because I believe people say things, but I don't know if they really believe it. If we believe that in the beginning there was Adam and Eve, that all of us are sisters and brothers, all of us came, you know, we go back to my great, 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 great. We all are related. Either we believe it or we don't. So if we do that, you got to understand that even when you're out there trying to do certain things, not everybody's going to pull for you. Not everybody wants you to succeed. And sometimes they don't want you to succeed because now you make them look bad because now they're saying, oh, you're out there doing it and I'm not doing what I know God told me to do or I know what I'm supposed to do. And then all of a sudden they're thinking, if you just sit down, you know, when you go to school and, you know, the teacher's asking and you like always raising your hand, they go, put your hand down. You're making us look bad. Don't don't dim your own light just because somebody else don't want to shine the way they should shine. Because if we all pump up our light, if we all come up to the level we're supposed to, we'll have a brighter world and a brighter place and a brighter life because all of our lights are shining. So my light is not going to hurt your light. But if we put our lights together and we start shining, we're going to light some stuff up. 
Well, that is so, so true. I, I love that. And you also seem to really have a good connection with your readers. And you seem to have developed an understanding of what they do like and what they do want and kind of connected with the the group of, um, you know, everybody always talks about the niche audience. And you seem to have really connected with what your readers like. And so how did you do, how have you done that over your career? Well, one of the things that I noticed that was kind of interesting to me was when I first started writing, it's just like when you're growing up and you buy a car. My first car that I bought, um, it was white. And actually, it was a white Pinto. Um, The next car I bought was a steel gray. And it was a Maxima. Um, The next vehicle I bought was a, um, technically, it was a white uh, van. (laughs) The car that I ended up getting after that was steel gray. As you're doing things in life, you start noticing a pattern about yourself. Only until you get to a certain place do you look back and you go, oh, that's what I do. One of the things that I noticed that I did and people, actually, that's my signature now, um, whenever I'm writing, if I write a story, every chapter I have has a scripture at the beginning. So every one of my book, and you can imagine all the books that I have and all the chapters that are in each book. And all of my scriptures match what's going on in that particular chapter. So I did not realize it at the time when I first did it. Also, one other thing, every single one of my books, especially my fiction, they all have one sermon in it. At least one sermon. And I'm talking about a real sermon. I'm not saying just, you know. And what was funny about that was the first time that I had my character, um, especially in the book Promises Beyond Jordan, my character preached this sermon. I was cool with that. That sounds fine. The next book I had, Wings of Grace, all of a sudden I'm hearing in my spirit, there is this um, sermon. And I'm like, okay, God, let me explain something to you. And this was, (laughs) and I said, God, um, having one, one, time was okay, but nobody wants to see a sermon in every book. So I'm saying to him, you know, you just got to understand how people are. I said, but I tell you what, this is me talking to God now. I tell you what, I will put it to the side and I'll see where it goes. Well, the funny thing was the, the, um, the actual sermon started off near the second or third chapter. And I was going to try to put it later on because I'm thinking, I'm not trying to do a sermon in every book. And next thing I know is exactly where he had it to be in the first place. So I laugh sometimes because there are times like even when I um, had uh, my deal with BET. And of course, that's one of the ultimate things people were trying to get. And it's like, okay, I got this two book deal with them. And after I got the deal, they came back and asked me for another two book deal. And so I hear guys say, tell them no. And I'm like, okay, God, let me explain this to you. This is BET, you know, BET, okay? They had a television and they were putting out movies of certain books that they were putting out at the time. And he he told me no. So it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. But when he said no, and I said no, later on you found out they ended up shutting down the book section and they sold it to Harlequin, who then named it Kimani. Well, the funny thing I could say, well, maybe if I had stayed with them, they would have still been there and me leaving probably just totally messed them up. Or I could say, sometimes God will tell you no to protect you. He will tell you no because he knows what's coming down and you don't. So when we try to just fight against things, so a lot of things that I do even right now, I'm like, okay, 
I don't understand, like even with Kensington, I had 12 books with Kensington and they offered me another uh, deal and I ended up not really um, taking up that. Now you might look at that and say that was really kind of dumb to some people, but I have no idea sometimes what God is telling me and why I'm just obedient. So for me, with what I do, my books all have a scripture. The scriptures, people say how much it blessed them with those scriptures. And I'm not reusing the same old scriptures because he's actually giving me like this scripture goes here and then I'm writing and I'm doing it. And so then you have the sermon and I have people who will be reading the sermons and they'll say, as I'm reading it, all of a sudden they go, yes, amen, go ahead. You know, they're talking to the words as they're reading it as though it's a real sermon and it's blessing people. So I may not do it the way everybody else do it, but I do it the way God created me to do it. And that's the wonderful thing about our God. He's like, I don't have to repeat myself. I don't have to make uh, duplicates of everybody looking the same. I'm making you individual. I'm going to make you the way I want you to do it. I just need you to be in tune with me. I need you to hear me. I need you to know what I am saying to you so that you're making sure that you're not messing up. Because, you know, it'd be like, you know, you had Abraham or Abram and Sarah. And God is like, yeah, you're going to have a child. And they're like, okay, it's taking too long. God, I don't know. Maybe you don't know what you're doing. Or maybe you just need some help. Tell you what, we're going to help you, God. And next thing you know, we got Ishmael. And you got a problem. And then we sometimes see that problem is still hitting us even now. Because we can't wait on what God is having us to do. So for me, I'm like, okay, God, I, I mean, I know we mess up. We still, he said, okay, baby, you messed up. That's okay. Come on here. You my baby. Come here. I'm going to still hug you. I'm going to put you on the right path. But we don't want to keep going against what he's telling us. We need to learn. If he's telling you sometime, go a different way while you're riding down the road. Listen to the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit is saying, go a different way, because maybe you were supposed to be in that wreck that you missed because you were obedient. But because you went the way he told you, he just protected you from something. So I don't even get upset when I'm late. If something's going on and I'm going down the road and there's traffic and it's making me late, I say, I don't know what God is keeping me from. But maybe if I had been at that time in that place, that would have been me. So what has God kept us from that we just don't even realize that he has kept us and we're upset and fussing and mad. So I try not to do that. But back to your question, I do hear back from my readers um, and they know that I write in a different way than some other people may. But the thing about with me, God told me and he showed me something a long time ago was two things happened. I had promises beyond Jordan and I had wings of grace. I had a person to write a review and I used to look at the review because we all want to go, oh, let me go see what people got to say. And so I read this review of Promises Beyond Jordan. And when I read it, she was like, oh, I'm giving a five star. She's the great. Oh, this is wonderful. She is a blessed. She's anointed. She is this. And then when they read Wings of Grace, they said, she's the devil. I can't believe she had this. She put this in here. And so it was like, she said, if I could, I would give it less than a one. But it's the same person that wrote. Now, here's what was funny. God told me, he said, let me ask you something. When you wrote Wings of Grace, who told you to write that? Who told you what to write? I said, you. He said, would you have changed anything? Because you would think somebody may disagree? I said, no. He said, so why do you care what they say? He said, because either you're going to listen to me 
or you're going to be trying to listen to them. He said, I'm going to tell you something. On one hand, you're going to have people saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the next hand, you'll have them saying, crucify. So he said, so don't look. He said, you either have to believe them when they said you were a five and also believe that it was a one or disagree with the one. But I agree with the five. He said, either way, for you, what do you care? So after that, I even stopped reading reviews. So for the most part, I, I don't know sometimes what people have to say unless they either write me personally or unless they come to a book signing or something. That is so interesting and so true. And I feel like we need to hear that on repeat in this culture where we just have so much information coming in and so much feedback and people get so caught up in what the crowds are saying and what, you know, if they're getting the likes, if they're getting the engagement, if they're getting the reviews, like you said. So I, yeah, I love that. You clearly have a calling to write and you clearly have a gifting with the ability to write, but you seem like you also just have a lot of fun writing. And so is that accurate? And can you tell me a little like what you enjoy about being a writer? I, I do love writing. Like I said, when I was a young child, I used to read. So when you read, and I remember sometime it was certain books that I would read. And I thought one time there was one particular one. When I read it, the way it impacted me, I said, I would love to write one day to impact people in that way. And like I said, I'm not going to have everybody to love me. I'm not going to have everybody. But I enjoy what I do because it's fun to just take something that is nothing and make it into something. And see, and what we have to realize is God said, I created you in my image and he took nothing and he made something. So he's put that in us and to take uh, a world that does not exist. And when I say world, if you're writing fiction, a lot of what you're writing is out of your imagination. It is things that you're thinking of and you're putting that together. Um, I do love nonfiction. So I read a lot of nonfiction. For me, I used to tell people, I would take in nonfiction what people normally might not read and I would kind of slip it in. You know, it'd be just like sometimes when people give you castor oil and they would say, okay, let's put a little something in it to make it go down easier. So for me, I love being able to take, I tell people it's about the power of words. And I always say, whether it's written or spoken, if I'm writing the words, I want them to mean something. And I always tell my words, or tell people, even when I'm talking about writing to people, I said, make them do their job. Make the words count. If you have a word that is not doing anything and is not doing its job, fire it. Get rid of it. We don't need to just have a bunch of words so I can say, well, they say I got to have 100,000 words or I have to have 80,000 words. So I'm making up fluff. Nobody wants to read fluff. If people are going to skip your fluff anyway, why put it there? So for me, I enjoy it. I love it. And it's so much fun to start out. And then to me, seeing the characters as they keep like developing. And I, one of my characters, which was a, a person named George Landris, I actually wrote a book called The Rose of Jericho. And he showed up in that book. It was uh, five characters who were writing in their journals. He was not one of the ones writing in the journal, but he was a character that showed up. But when he showed up, I couldn't stand him. I mean, I hate it. I shouldn't say that, but I did not like the man. I didn't like the way he talked to my main character. I didn't like anything about him. At the very end, he did something that I think I like. Now, I didn't know that we were going to be doing this. Next thing I know about uh, maybe a year or so later, I'm in bed and I hear the words, have you ever loved someone that you never had? 
And I said, oh, that's an interesting sentence. And then I thought, and I knew it was the beginning of a book. So I said, okay, I should write that down. And I'm thinking, I remember that. That's real easy. And something in my spirit said, get up and write it down. So I got up. And then I said, well, instead of me writing it on a paper, what I probably need to do is maybe I'll type it on my computer. So I opened up my computer and I wrote that to start with. Four pages later, I had this story that was going. And then when I got through, I said, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, this is so good. So I called a friend of mine. She lived in North Carolina at the time. And I I called her and I said, hey, I want to read something to you and tell me what you think. And when I started reading it, she was like, okay, well, okay, where the rest of it, where the rest of it? And she was so into it as well. So for me, I'll tell somebody, I had no idea, but the character that I did not like in The Rose of Jericho became one of my best main characters. People still ask me, when are you going to write another book with Pastor Landris? Because he actually ended up becoming a pastor. And from there, he had all of these wonderful sermons that he would bring in all of my different books. Now, I do have three standalone books that um, were with, um, that I had with Kensington, and they were Redeeming Waters, uh, Ray of Hope, and Forever Soul Ties. And one of the things that I'm going to do for you at one point is read from um, Redeeming Waters a little bit so you can hear that because that's one of the books that everybody will say we would love to see that as a movie. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Um, everybody's like, why don't you give it to so-and-so? Why don't you call so-and-so? I tell people, everybody does that. But what you have to do is just say, I have no idea how God is going to do what he's going to do. And you can't make, I can't make anybody do a movie from this book. I can't make, but I can still believe. I can still do my part. And so for me, um, it was a book that's based on the story of David and Bathsheba, but I made it into a contemporary. And even when I'm writing at that time, what I will say is I don't want to do what's the normal thing people think you should do. I hate when people just like, I hate formula. I hate when it's like everything, you know, and I'm not saying because we know romance has a formula. It is the different things you have to do. But I'm saying I hate when a person may take a story and all they do is rehash it and just change the name and a little bit. For me, I want something fresh. So I'm going to always bring you something that you may not have expected or you may not be looking for. So I took three different stories of the Bible, um, and this was the books I had with Kensington, and I made them contemporary. But like I said, I didn't take the easy way out. So when my story with, um, which was Redeeming Waters, and um, of course, originally when they first put it out in tradeback, it had a cover like this, but then they changed the cover. And when they changed it in mass market, they changed it to have a woman on the, in a different kind of a way. But um, anyway, but with that particular book, I said, most people would think, because we know the story of David and Bathsheba and what happened. I had to say, what can I do that will make this a contemporary story that's going to still stick with what the Bible had and make sure I'm I'm going with that. So I did um, Redeeming Waters out of David and Bathsheba. I did Ray of Hope from the story with Rahab. And of course, you know, Rahab was the harlot. And so I had this whole story. It's so, I, I love that story. It's uh, with a grandma. Her name is Ma Ray. And she has two granddaughters and they're like getting out of hand. And their mother's like, hey, mom, I can't take it no more. Can you please get them for the summer? They go to their grandmother's house and 
she has dial up for internet. So there's no internet. Cell phone is not really a tower out there to pick up. So they're really having to do things like shelling peas and, you know, <laughs> swinging in the tire thing. <laughs> so that was a story that I took from the story of Rahab. And then I had Forever Soul Tide. And the funny thing about for, uh, Forever Soul Tide, it's the story of a woman caught in the adultery. So you have the whole concept of that. And like I said, it's totally different from what you would think, but it still stayed in line with the um, with the biblical story. So um, that's my thing is, do I love what I do? I do. I always tell people, we come through life and there are so many things that we do we don't like to do. But there are times where we can choose when we want to do something and what we enjoy. And we can also have joy even when things aren't going that well. Because I'll say, think back. Think of something that gave you joy. Think of something that made you smile. And even in the midst of the storm, we got to learn how I still got to keep going because that's why a lot of people want to quit. That's why a lot of people give up. You've been through some things before and you're going to make it through this. You just got to get through it. And the thing is, don't quit till you get through. Keep going. Just keep. And if, and if you have to do like when they're in the air uh, on the airplane and you have a storm and you're the pilot that's flying it and you see the storm and the pilot is saying, hey, y'all, we're about to go through this storm. But he tell you what we're going to do is we're going to go above the cloud. So sometimes you just got to go up to a whole nother altitude with your attitude. So you want to go up higher and fly over the storm. If I got to go through the storm, I know I'm not going through it by myself. Because God told me he'll never leave me nor forsake me. So for me, it's about be grateful, be thankful, and enjoy the life that you have. Make the best of it. This is not our home. We came here for a short period of time. Now, even if it's 100 years, that's not a long time. Make the best of it. And then you can say, do I have any regrets? Nope, don't have any regrets. I did all the things that I wanted to do or that I cared about doing. And when I tell people, when I leave here, I want you to say, hey, I know Vanessa. <laughs> she basically, you know, and maybe you go, yeah, if I had another year, I would, I still would have kept doing what I'm doing because I'm going to make a difference in somebody's life, even if it's just one. To me, one person's life, because if I touch one person, that person may touch a million. But maybe I did something to encourage that one person who now is going to hit a whole, whole million of group. And so it's worth it. Vanessa, I feel like I have been to church on a Saturday. <laughs> I am going to go through the rest of the day so fired up. Um, can you tell us where we can find you online? If people want to find your books, if they want to reach out and contact you, where can they find you? Okay, my website is my name, VanessaDavisGriggs.com. Um, you can also find me on uh, Facebook. And it's up under Vanessa Davis Griggs. Uh, I have a account. I don't do a whole lot. Like some people do the TikToks and the Instagram. And I don't do a lot of those because what happens is you have your emails. And I have several different email accounts. And I have, because I still have my AOL. And then I have my Gmail. And then I have, of course, when you go through my website and it forwards it to me from there. Um, I do have a what used to be a Twitter, but I'm not a real Twitter fan. So uh, so for me, I still have it. This is up under Vanessa Griggs, but I'm mostly on Facebook. So if you go to Facebook, what I'm going to do is encourage you. I'm going to give you some good word because my thing is there are no people telling you that you're no good, that there's nothing good for you, that they want to hit you upside the head. And for me, I want to say, 
You are special. You are wonderful. God loves you. I say a lot of things to basically say, keep going because you never know what anybody's going through. So my biggest probably platform is Facebook right now, even though I usually don't stay over there because it's too much drama. <laughs> so I used to uh, sometimes, and, and I may even do this when I finish with you, I used to would pray with, um, you know, come on uh, live and pray every now and then for people. But, you know, but yeah, um, so just hit me up. That is wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It's my pleasure.